0: it's Jenny and this is Alexa and we're back with another edition of Checked Out the Lexington Public Library podcast and I am incredibly excited because today we have a special guest joining us in the podcast is Ryan Davis from Pig and Pepper. So
1: welcome Ryan. Hi thank you I'm happy to be here.
0: Can you tell everybody listening first off what Pig and Pepper is?
1: Um, Okay so Pig and Pepper is a very small baking company that I started about four years ago um, I, we don't have a brick and mortar as of yet, but we sell to a few different retail spaces around town. Um, mostly do sweet and savory pies, um, but starting to branch out into some other baked goods and then with future aspirations of a more kind of sit down restaurant brunch type of place.
0: That's amazing. Um, I, I called Alexa really excited after uh, we had a a grant reception. The Northside Library got a a, a grant from the North Lyme CDC and the Bluegrass uh, Community Foundation. And uh, you catered that event. And it was the best uh, chicken pot pie I've ever had in my life. And I made our foundation director go back with me for seconds because I was so obsessed with it. And then I asked you to be on the podcast with us and talk food and talk uh, food books and cookbooks. And I called Alexa and I would not shut up about your pie crust. So we are super excited to have you here to talk about. Talk about food and in cookbooks and and baking.
2: I have to say I've I've um, heard a lot about the pie crust um, just in general in the lead up to this, and we actually stopped by uh, Lucy Brown uh-huh. um, to have some of your delicious pies before we came here. And I had uh, the the red pepper quiche, and I swear I, I was talking to Jenny as I was finishing it, and I was just like, "Is it weird that I wish this was like ninety percent crust, and like, <laughs> right? just a little <laughs> less quiche filling, and just more?" It's so buttery and yeah. just like flaky, and it's like yeah. Jenny's, Jenny's mentioned she was like it's almost like a short and it really is so good. It's
0: delicious.
1: It's so. like, okay, I get Thank why I care. heard about so much about the crust right? before I gave, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> one of the baristas over at Cupacama with a few years ago have invented the hashtag trust the crust <laughs> for me. He, he gave me a few, but that was that's one of my favorites. That's um, a good one. I'm I still, love it. I need to get some shirts yes, printed up with should. that. So. You have the
0: ones now that say, uh, are you pie curious, which yes. I find hysterical. Yes. Yeah, that What's was, was my
1: sister. She's the, the cleverer. <clears throat> Of the two of us. So that was <laughs> That's a good one. That yeah. was her one. but And that's because I always say, um, you know, people are like, well, what kind of pies do you do? And I mostly do curious pies. You know, I don't do just apple pie or cherry pie mm-hmm. or, you know, but they always are going to have a little bit of a spin or something unexpected in them that... You know, I've had people say, you know, your pies really don't make sense when you tell me, but then I eat them and they're amazing. And, it's like okay. You, you know. know. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So How did you get
0: started baking? Did you bake from a, as a child? Did you learn as an adult?
1: Um, I baked as a child a lot. Um, I don't really remember anyone like sitting down and teaching me how to bake. Um, my mom is was never much of a cook, but she did bake especially at Christmas. So like this time of year is like all I wanna do is bake Christmas cookies. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, you know, as a child, like I would go, we had the, um, Betty Crocker cookie cookbook, the Mm -hmm. red one with all the cookies on it. Mm -hmm. And that is the one that I really remember that every now and again, I would get bored and just kind of be like, I want to bake something. And I would go grab the cookie cookbook and, you know, Then I would try to figure out like what ingredients we actually had in the house (laughs) to make. And most of the time we didn't have any. We were always missing one key ingredient, like baking soda or baking powder. Um, So, yeah, so it was just kind of an interest that I had growing up. I always liked cooking, um, always interested in food. Um, You know, I did a master's in nutritional anthropology, which is what brought me to Kentucky from Texas, So there was always just kind of a lifelong interest in food and and cooking for people and just how food kind of is really a glue between people, I think, you know, in in a lot of ways. Um, And so, and then pies kind of came about really just um, serendipitously or accidentally. Like I made a couple pies for a 4th of July party I had four years ago. I did like a... Blueberry pear cardamom with a Gruyere cheese crust. Oh very inspired. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> very much inspired by um, Pushing Daisies. I don't know if you ever watched that. Yes. show. So yeah. I was gonna bring that up. I was yeah. like, Have
2: you? If you haven't watched Pushing yeah. Daisies, I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah, but you
1: should. Yeah. So very <laughs> much
2: the movie Waitress. It. Yeah. Uh, yes, Waitress I is love is that wonderful. one
1: too. Yeah. yeah, and now the Broadway play. Oh, my yeah. God, yeah, And absolutely. they have a like cookbook that goes with it too. I haven't checked that out. Yes. But, um, yeah, so I really remember that. And then, um, yeah, so I just made that and everyone was like, you know, this is really good. And I was like, I think I'm going to do that, make a business. I don't know. There was not a lot of thought <laughs> put into it, which I think is why it's been kind of a slow progression, but... Um, you know, it's it's a pace that works for me and just figuring out exactly what it is that I want to do. And, and, you know, because I never did go to culinary school or have any kind of formal training. So figuring out, you know, what recipes work and mm-hmm. don't. And then that kind of expanded into doing pot pies and, and quiches and things like that. So, yeah.
0: Some of the best, and uh, most famous, I think, chefs didn't go to culinary school, though. They kind of learned on their own and, and got to experiment. And I think when you're not bound by those rules, sometimes you get to come up with, you're You have more license to be creative,
1: I think so too. I think so you know I think I've had other chefs you know, I've worked at a couple of restaurants around town, and I've had some other chefs tell me that you know it's almost better to not go because then when you get a job, you're just going to have to unlearn everything that they've taught ta- right. you. Yeah. Because <laughs> so it's kind of like the army. They want to, like, you know, tear you down and build you up in their image.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like on Great British Baking Show. Like, every year, Mary Berry's like, I learned something new from the home cooks. Because they are at home just doing yeah. their own thing. And they don't have any of these, like, rules and restrictions. And mm-hmm. they, they're they not taught by, by actual chefs and colleges and things. They just... Do whatever they want. And so it's like they really do kind of just break them all and you can really learn a lot just being yeah. by yourself and doing it. Your well, own and way. I
1: think when you're yeah, when you're able to do something for fun and enjoyment, yeah. there's just so much more you know, failing isn't as scary as when you're in school or working in a restaurant or something like that. There's room for failure, there's room for trial and error, there's room for experimentation, you know, there's really no mold to be you know I mean you're really you're not trying the only person you're kind of really trying to please is yourself well and the people you're feeding which most people are happy to get any kind of free baked goods so <laughs> true, yeah it's just like even if it's
2: slightly wrong it's like yeah, yeah. somebody's gonna eat yeah it. Like, I mean
1: and that's honestly how I started is I just started making little pies and I don't know what it was about the little ones but and then I would make you know a dozen pies and it's like well I don't want to eat a dozen pies and I'd give a few to roommates and then I would just go out in Lexington with pies in my purse and hand them out to people. Uh, and you, you made know. a lot of friends. I made a lot of <laughs> a friends that fairy. way. Yeah. I was a pie fairy. A lot of times it would be like it was six or arcade. You know, so a lot of times where there were people drinking. Yeah. You know, and I'd see people later and they're like, I pulled that pie out of my pocket the next day and it's just like <laughs> you saved my life. You That's know? <laughs> so great. Oh and my god. So yeah, and it was honestly like it ended up being a very um unintentionally great marketing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. That's like the
1: most brilliant yeah. idea for marketing, And like, like consumer feedback and, you know, test audience. Yeah. Like, well, what do you think about that? But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell me, tell me your feelings now <laughs> that you've sobered up. <laughs> like, On a scale of one to five. <laughs> <laughs> and Lexington
0: is going through such an amazing food moment right now. You know, uh, there's been a, a lot of interest, I think, nationally in food and where food comes from and what we're eating, but... Uh, Lexington's kind of been a microcosm of that over the last decade, and we have so many wonderful local chefs and local restaurants and local food options that, you know, it's a great time. It feels like you came along really at a great time when there's a lot of interest in local.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because I came here in 2008 for graduate school, and I was here for about two years, and then I left for a year, and when I came back, I think, so in like 2011, mm-hmm. things, it's like I could tell there had been a real kind of shift. Um culturally and of course you know with a lot of like the craft beer and everything I think that was kind of you know it was right around when country boy and was six and all that opened and I think that those really started a lot of it off and um but I almost remember being struck when I came here in 2008 just with like the local food, even at the grocery store, like Kentucky proud and all mm-hmm. of that, because it wasn't something that I was used to growing up in Texas. You know, we don't grow a lot of our own food because it's pretty hard. <laughs> it's difficult. Yeah, you know. I mean, I... A little arid. Yeah, yeah, yeah just a little, a little. Yeah, there are a few farmers markets now. People try, you know, but I'd never been to a farmers market until I moved to Kentucky. You know, one of my first experiences here in Lexington when I came to visit was going to the farmers market and getting strawberries. And it was, like, one of the most amazing things I'd ever put in my mouth was this, like... I mean, I can still remember, like, what an experience it was, you know? Um, Sorry, I got a little off track there. But, yeah, I mean, I I do really like... But I think that Lexington has really focused so much just on local food, but local business as Mm -hmm. well, you know? Um, I don't know that I could go and do what I've done necessarily just anywhere else. I think that there's something very particular about the culture here and the community here in Lexington that makes it possible for people like me to kind of do what I'm doing and what I hope to do later on is that there are, like, just this huge support. Mm-hmm. Um, even with businesses that are seemingly kind of in competition with one another are, like, so supportive. You know, a new coffee shop opens up and all the other coffee shops are like, hey, go check this place out. They're really awesome. Or, you know, or the restaurants and everybody. And, and that's really, really nice. So it's, like, this this kind of... I mean, I don't. I don't know. It's like I don't even know that the local food movement is necessarily about local food. I think it just kind of comes back or stems from this focus on community. I agree. That Lexington really, really has. Um, yeah. So we love a good small business. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then I think too, when you you really see it when larger businesses coming in, are basically being forced to adopt that. You know, mm-hmm. so like at the summit. You know, um, so Shake Shack sells my pie as a mix-in for one of their frozen custards, and it's part of their business model to to kind of work with and, and contract with local businesses and things like that. So that's not only them, but, like, with the whole barn and the summit, mm-hmm. like, everything in there is local, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of like, is that part of just responsive to what's going on culturally, or is that kind of in response to what they see happening with consumers in Lexington, and probably a bit of both, but you know it's definitely.
0: We live very close to the summit, and my husband was indignant, and we said he would refuse to set foot because it was going to be a traffic nightmare. And then he heard that Athenian Grill was going in. And he
2: was like, Well, <laughs> darn! I've changed oh, my mind. Everyone,
0: it's <laughs> not that big a deal. <laughs> And, and, and so there's there's crank and boom and, you, you yeah. know, and all those great the all those great you know yummy places and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. but it is mm-hmm. nice to have those options right there and and to have you know local food spreading local businesses and restaurants spreading out into the suburbs I think that is a really big deal for for our town
1: I think so too I do um, I think that it's like. I know for me, I think of Lexington as like multiple cities kind mm-hmm. of sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. and it's real easy to kind of get stuck in a bubble of like downtown or north side or east End kind of thing. And so, you know, and I think that other people don't want to come to other parts or for whatever reason. And so to be able to kind of blend people together <laughs> more, give Absolutely. reason people a reason to go to other Absolutely. parts of town.
0: Yeah, I just had a conversation about this uh, with with somebody in regards to some other stuff we're doing at the library in the spring. And, um, yeah, I think you kind of get in your own little world, in your own little neighborhood, and and you don't venture out as much. And so this is a great way to get people out of their comfort zones, really. Through food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you have a favorite... you talked about baking cookies with your mom and, and the holidays coming up, but do you have other favorite, like, holiday memories around food and baking and baking for loved ones because it's, it's kind of that time of
1: year? Um, You know, it was really just Christmas cookies. Like, that's what it was, is my mom, because, I mean, the woman really does not cook, and I'm sorry, Mom, because I'm sure, <laughs> as a proud mother, you're going to listen to this <laughs> later, but luckily you don't live here, so... <laughs> Uh, she makes amazing salads. She plays the harp. She does a lot of very wonderfully talented things, but the woman does not cook and did not cook very much when we were growing up. Um, but at Christmas, it was like Christmas cookies everywhere. Um, you know, and she would make like the huge kind of like the shirt boxes that you wrap shirts in. And she'd stick them in the deep freezer, and so some of my fondest memories are her yelling at my father for eating the frozen cookies, <laughs> <laughs> and which he would like he would eat them frozen. He wouldn't oh even God. like wait for them to thaw. <laughs> like like a he classical. would just yeah, it was you know, is <laughs> her yelling at him uh, for eating the frozen cookies that she had been working on <laughs> to so give fun. away, and like we would you know the mailman and and neighbors, and and we still do it. You know, we still take like a plate of cookies because um, I, I still go home for Christmas every year. Um, you know, and I do it. I bake cookies for friends every year. My sister has done it. One of my favorite things here in Lexington was when I was living over near campus and a an next door neighbor who I had never really talked to came over and brought some homemade Buckeyes. And I was like, oh, I feel like I'm at home. And I was like, I'm going to make you a pie.
0: <laughs> Our next door neighbor is seven. And she, last year we, we were treated to a plate of Christmas cookies, as well. it was lovely.
1: Yeah yeah it's great. It's just I don't I mean, I don't know. I think just sharing food with people in general, I think that unfortunately, we're more prone to do it in the holidays than mm-hmm. we are throughout the year, but um, you know, people are busy and people are time, but I think that there's just such a connection there. Um, you know, when I moved over, I live on the north side of town now, and when I moved in to where I live, you know, all of my neighbors, or older people, you know, and uh, they somehow found out that I make pie, and so they all just kept there demanding pies of me. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you know, and as older folks, they weren't really quite into some of the crazy stuff I do, so they were like, Can't you, you make something normal? Yes, you know, so I have on occasion... I probably shouldn't admit this to so many people, is then I'll start getting requests. But, you know, for, I've made some butterscotch pies and some plain lemon oh. meringue pie. You know, so like, what's your favorite pie? And then that's you know that's great because it really does. It builds community. It's it's it just does. a way to really connect with people. You should set an age limit on it. Like,
0: no, no special orders when you're <laughs> at the age of 60. Yeah. And then
1: we'll talk. I need, yeah, to see,
0: I need to see your AARP card first.
1: I know. Well, and that's, you know, people have asked me to do gluten-free stuff. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's impossible because I have flour on my person at any moment in yeah. time. There's going to be some gluten in there. Yeah. And second <laughs> of all, I'm kind of like, can I see your doctor's note? No. It's <laughs> <Just laughs> like, I really need
2: some commitment <laughs> before <laughs> I, like, dive into this whole gluten-free pie crust yeah, recipe. Like, how serious are we about that, you know? I never realized one of my good friends, um, her boyfriend is is has celiacs, so he's gluten intolerant. And so she she has this recipe. I have a pumpkin chocolate chip cookie recipe that I make, and she wanted me to give it to her so she could make some for him, but gluten-free. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'll supply the gluten-free flour. We'll do and I was just like, I've never cooked anything gluten-free, we'll give it a shot. Let's see how this goes. And we did it, and like they came out of the oven and they looked the same. We both like split a cookie and took a bite, and we were just like. No, it's the chemistry no, of it. It's, yeah, it's just, and I yeah. was so she disappointed. It? She was just same. like, well, I guess he won't know the difference because <laughs> he's not eating the regular ones anyway. That, like, you that's you a good know, point. True. He doesn't know. He doesn't know any better. He <laughs> doesn't know that these are not quite as good. But it's just like, it was so, I never cooked anything gluten. I don't I don't know anyone who, who has a gluten intolerance in my immediate family. So it's like I never really tried before. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah. hard. it's hard. It is hard. And that. some
1: people do amazing stuff. And that's yeah. kind of my thing is that it's like, there are people in this town doing amazing things, yeah. you know? And that's like with pies, like Missy's does amazing pies. I love Missy's pies. So it's like, what can I do that's different? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's like, if someone wants just an apple pie, I'm like, well, here's five places you can go to get really good apple pie, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, it doesn't, but it, so it's kind of like, again, like, what are you passionate about? Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, yeah. So, um, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have, because uh, this is a library podcast, of course we have to talk books,
0: but do you have a favorite, your favorite cookbooks or a favorite kind of, of food related book? And it doesn't even have to be uh, necessarily like a work of nonfiction or a cookbook, um, you know, even a, a, a work of fiction like. Uh, like water for chocolate or um, something like that. Oh, that's a good
1: one. Yeah, that is a really good one. <laughs> that's a great um, one. That's a really great one. I'd love to make one of the recipes out of that, but mm-hmm. it's, like, all in metric and also in huge amounts. Like, have you ever looked at the recipes of, like, Yeah, water for chocolate? Like, and also, you <laughs> might need tears at some point. It's yeah. Just like, well, this, you, it, that probably wouldn't be that hard Very, <laughs> very, <laughs> special in that, very special recipes that I do love
0: magical realism. I uh, do too, yeah. Yes,
1: yeah. Um you know my favorite cookbooks um, I think I brought my one that I have that's an old dar cookbook and you know and this k- kind of appeals to you know it's not just it's not just about the food for me it's about people um, everything that I do from the anthropology degree to what I do now you know I would never want to just sit in a kitchen and make pies and not see the people who you know are eating them or enjoying them or, or all of that stuff and so any kind of a cookbook that where you're really connecting, With, I guess, people or humanity on any level, whether it's real people or, you know, currently real people or, you know, um, so like with this DAR cookbook that I love, it's, you know, I've made a few recipes out of it. Some of them I can't make because I can't actually read the recipe (laughs) or because it's those old kind of a pinch of this, a, you know, smidge of that. Call or, for some oleo. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> okay. And then, or it's like in the, such this beautiful old cursive handwriting. And then yeah. I'm like, I don't even know what that says, yeah. but there's, you know, it is like each recipe is in someone else's handwriting. So you can really kind of connect it to a real person, you know? Um, So those are a lot, like, any cookbook that kind of comes with, like, a story. Um, So a a friend of mine recently just gave me a cookbook to look over that's, like, southern food, and it's got every recipe has a story associated with it about where it comes from and this and that and the other. And so that's, you know, a little more interesting to me than just, like, straight kind of just cookbooks where Mm -hmm. it's just, like, here are the recipes. Like, I want (coughs) a little bit of a story. I want a little bit of, like, a human side to it. Um, I
0: always say if I weren't a librarian uh, I was a history major in college and I always say I would be a food historian Mm -hmm. for the same reason because uh, I feel like what people eat or what people ate and how they ate it and why they ate it it tells you so much about about them about their culture about their life Mm. Um, and so the two the two that came to mind when I knew we were doing this podcast um, one is Eight Flavors by Sarah Lohman and it is the history of uh america really told through these eight different distinct flavors so she does vanilla black pepper curry powder chili powder soy sauce garlic msg and sriracha um it's sort of a little bit about the history of how they came to america and how that is a, a small microcosm or small reflection on uh, a part of american history um like the sriracha one uh it was sriracha was uh brought to the United States, created basically by a a Vietnamese uh, refugee in his family. Mm -hmm. And the the company, the, the company is the name of the boat that they left Vietnam on so mm-hmm. book is just full of cool stories like that yeah, yeah. that's really interesting I, didn't know I that love that
1: sriracha. my boyfriend was actually telling me that story like just the other day oh well. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so
0: yeah and all of their peppers come from the same family and have since this they started making the sauce in the late 70s so it's um, they so apparently true sriracha aficionados can tell because the bottles will vary slightly in color and in taste depending on when the peppers were were picked huh. I know! Who knew hot yeah. sauce could be so fascinating?
1: <laughs>
0: not me. I don't
2: enjoy hot sauce. So I don't really read stories about that. But I do love this phenomenon of, like,
1: aficionado. You know, like, yeah, not just hot sauce aficionado, yeah. sriracha. but sriracha yeah. aficionado. Like, this, like... It's a thing. I'm like, is this, like, an American thing or a world thing to be, you know, like, wine, you know, like, bean, this, like, uber professional source on different flavored things yeah yeah. and we're gonna have bacon aficionados we we don't already
0: we probably we probably do my husband is from the country ham capital of the world Mm. and he considers himself an aficionado on country ham so (laughs) there you go yeah um and my my other my other choice of books was american cake by Anne. um Byrne, I think is how you say her last name, but it's uh, it's a cake cookbook, and but it's just famous cakes throughout history and the story behind them, and then she includes, you know, she's modernized the ones that you know you need modernization for, so um, it, I, I love it because it's, again, there's a story attached to it, um, and also just kind of a, you, you get a sense of why, you know, why, why does this, you know, uh, recipe not have a whole lot of sugar in it? Well, sugar was harder to come by, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, so...
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I want to read both those books.
0: They're <laughs> fantastic, especially, I mean. Do y'all have them here at the library? We do! <laughs> yes! <We're> both. <laughs> both.
1: You did it, <laughs> Jenny. <laughs>
0: Listen, I actually um, tweeted at Sarah Loman when I read Eight Flavors, and she tweeted back, and I it was like one of the happiest moments of my <laughs>
2: professional life. It's so exciting when authors tweet back it at totally you. It totally is. Um, but it's
0: it's really fascinating. Uh, she talks about, and, and being from Texas, you might like this: the chili powder queens that would come and, and cook uh, cook chili in the I guess in San Antonio, in like the big square, they would cook mm-hmm. chili, and it was like a big thing to see like whose chili was better, and the the like the families would like mark almost like market the daughters themselves, like. Well, well, my gorgeous teenage daughter serving him this jelly. Well, my gorgeous teenage daughter—it was like a whole thing. So it's
1: just really fascinating. It, it, food is endlessly fascinating, and the connections that it makes it actually reminds me. I think one of my favorite books uh, is uh, Sydney Mint's uh, "Sweetness and Power," and it's all about the he, the way he kind of connects the sugar trade and the rise of the sugar trade and the rise of the demand for sugar with the slave trade mm-hmm. and the slave triangle, and then how that like basically built capitalism mm-hmm. like kind of connecting the rise of capitalism and building built on this foundation of sugar and then tying it to like I don't know modern inequality and <laughs> health yeah. issues and things like that it was just like I mean that was the book that made me go to graduate school like when I read it in my undergrad and it was just like this is amazing
2: so It was fantastic like
1: history and economy and you know, um, but then bringing it to modern connections and just those ties throughout time and then just something as simple as like sugar, you know, or what you think is simple as sugar, right. you know, so yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great book. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, well, I have to say I had two as well. Um, my first one um, is not really a cookbook. Um, I was talking about it a little bit before we started recording the podcast and um, it's called Voracious by Kara Nicoletti. Um, and it's more of kind of like a journey through her life, um, via books that she has read. And then she, um, with each book, she kind of writes a little essay about where she was in her life when she read it, why the book, um, impacted her life, um, gives a little bit of background of, of why she chose the book to include a recipe with. And then she recreates, she creates a recipe, um that the characters mention in each of the books um so just uh, a small sampling she does do breakfast sausage from little house in the big woods um i thought it was really interesting i really resonated the book resonated with me because most of the books that she picked i had read already um before i even read it um typically around the same time i was obsessed with little house in the big woods when i was a kid um we jenny and i actually were on an email chain about (laughs) laura Ingalls wilder recently (laughs) The head
0: of our collections department, <laughs> who is a lovely, lovely person and mentor, um, sent out an email with a list of, like, best books of the year and said, who even cares about Laura Ingalls Wilder anymore? Like and I was so wrong people. <laughs> because as a child, I was so in love with the Little House books that yes. I even had my mother make me, like, a prairie outfit mm-hmm. so that I could go to Book Character Day as Laura Ingalls Wilder, complete with bonnet. Yeah. I mean, that's how... I that went how, I the little corncob doll really bad when I was a kid. I did too. And like, we, I was so into that book. We, yeah. the other kids like played like Barbie Dreamhouse. I yeah. played like Settler Barbie. I right? know. Like, yeah. Barbies are gonna go out into <laughs> the the West and they're gonna you know move out there and yeah. the, their little their little dog Jack and this whole thing. And uh, another librarian on the thread, um, our family is from Libya, and she said that in other parts of the world they use Little House to teach English. And I was like, well, how weird was it then coming to America and going? <laughs> what you guys don't know how to make corn cob dolls? All of you? You don't <laughs> have
2: like an annual like pig slaughtering day where like the kids like make balloons out of like the pigs No,
0: all have in caps like Friends? weird. Is for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, right? It's super weird. Right? Don't yeah.
2: turn around
1: own butter. No, it was just yeah. like you, you
2: stumbled into the wrong email thread with with that assertion there.
1: But That's right. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say my sister also went as Laura Ingalls Wilder for nice. day mean, when
2: she was a look, kid. Yeah. It's, Everyone loves Lauren Ingalls Wilder. It's that's why they're still putting out books about her. It's true. There's the new one out this year.
0: It's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, our, our head of the collections department um, knows books except when it comes to Lauren Ingalls Wilder. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we know she's listening. So Cabot. that's right. <laughs> that's
0: caveat. just
2: want to let you know. Um, but yeah, no, she, she she has really lovely essays. The The recipes that she wrote are, are really cool. I mean, she tries to make them kind of authentic to the book. Um, she's got the breakfast sausage from Little House in the Big Woods. She has brown butter crepes from Gone Girl, um, which is very funny to me. I just think that it's funny for anyone to kind of like create something beautiful out of the book, Adam, Gone yeah, Girl. Yeah, <laughs> the that's most that's true. One of the most horrifying books I think I've ever read. <laughs> Just blew through all of Gillian Flynn's books in a week whenever I read those. Um, that's but a disturbing week. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> that's a good off topic, but if you think Gone Girl is disturbing, you should look at some of her other works. Yeah, she takes a deep dive into the human psyche that
2: uh it's pretty dark. True story about me and my week reading all of Gillian Flynn's books. Um, I was, <laughs> to go on another tangent, uh, I was reading Dark Places, which is about a girl who is trying to solve um the murder of her entire family. Um like it happened when she was a little girl. She was the only one who escaped. She's trying to solve the murder with this group of like crime obsessive true crime true crime nerds. Is, yeah. Um and so yeah, and I was like at the very end of that book, like and it was at a flashback during the night of the murder of her family. And I was reading it, it was like all alone in our apartment and then my husband came home from work and just like slam open the door oh. threw the book at his head was very afraid <laughs> like <laughs> literally I don't think I've ever been more affected by a book long story yeah. short Gone Girl's really good read Dark Places Dark Places is yeah. like if you think Gone Girl's bad Dark Places will mess you up that yes. was that was a scary week
1: make sure you buy the paperback though so you yeah. don't hurt anyone no yeah I, really yeah. I could've done some I could've <laughs> or, done some serious damage or check out if yeah. that had check been a out hard the paperback don't get the hardback yeah
2: sorry Lynn <laughs> um, she also uh, on a nicer note she she does a perfect soft-boiled egg from Emma, which is just like, I don't know, there's something about just kind of going through and, like, picking and choosing different recipes from these books, and it's like, yeah, that is what you would choose from Emma. Like, that's just such a refined, like, Jane Austen type of thing to, mm-hmm. to include. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I don't know, it's, it's a really lovely book. Her essays are really wonderful, and she, you kind of get a picture into her life uh, when she was reading each book. Um, Another, uh, I read a lot of uh, food blogs, just that's generally how I spend my time. Um, But one that I've read for many years um, is Smitten Kitchen, which I'm sure I'm not alone. I think pretty much everybody reads Smitten Kitchen and Deb Perlman at this point. Um, But she actually had a new cookbook come out this year. It came out in October. It's called Smitten Kitchen Every Day. And um, one of the two cool things about this book, the first thing is, uh, Deb is really particular about um, the format of her books, and she actually has a lay flat binding in the hardback oh, one. Oh, that's nice! It's really nice. She's like, it's really important. People- File that one away, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like people yeah. always ask me, "Why do you care so much about binding? Why do you care so much?" It's like because it's a cookbook. Exactly. You're cooking from it in the kitchen. It's like if you have to prop it. I always end up using like cans of stuff to mm-hmm. so like just smush against the mm-hmm. binding, like hold my book open, which is not ideal. So I think that that is really crucial, and that shows just how much Deb cares about her book and about cooking. It's really probably laminated pages. Yes. Oh my (laughs) god! (laughs) I can't tell you how many greasy pages of like cookbooks I have. They're just disgusting. Like
1: stick together. It's just like
2: there's nothing you can do about it. It's serving its purpose. That's what it's here for. Um, And the other cool thing about uh, Smitten Kitchen every day is she does have. It's called a party cake builder. Um, So there's a section in the book where she has just these a bunch of different cake recipes the ratios for putting them into cupcakes, into a layer cake, into a sheet cake, a bunch of different icings, all this different stuff. So you can mix and match and kind of create your own cake for any sort of party situation that you might be in. And I think that's a really cool idea. And I think it's like, if, if nothing else, I think that that's probably one of the more useful things that has been included in a cookbook in a while. Um, I love the idea of it. So That and is fancy. Deb's recipes yeah. are always really good. Anything I've ever made by her, it turns out perfectly. Um, there's one recipe that I got from her website. It's a... Blackberry Coconut Macaroon Tart. Oh. It's delicious, and I make it oh, for my mother every single year. She loves blackberries and coconuts. I make it for her every year, either for her birthday or for Mother's Day. And it turns out perfect every time. It's so easy. And it's just like, love, love Swinton Kitchen. I swear by her recipes. They're, well, they're amazing. Well, since you
0: mentioned food blogs, I'm going to throw out Brave Tart by Stella Parks. Oh. Uh, Stella Parks used to be a local chef. She was the pastry chef at Table 310, um, and Brave Tart uh, was her blog, and now it's, it's her book. Um, but she does kind of fun, quirky takes on classic American recipes. I, knew, I know one of her, her popular recipes in the blog was like a Pop-Tart, like how to recreate Pop-Tarts mm-hmm. at home, homemade oh, Pop-Tarts. Yeah.
2: So With like puff pastry? Yeah, yes. so kind of fun stuff like that.
1: Yeah, know, that's she's. I love that book. I need to get a copy. I haven't gotten a copy yet, but I've looked through it. I've done through other people's copies. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's cool, but we, what you were saying about going through when um, – pulling out recipes from books like the one uh, recently the you know Carnegie Center had their big Alice in Wonderland theme mm-hmm. party and I was kind of looking at doing a recipe for that and um, then pig and pepper comes from Alice mm-hmm. in Wonderland because people are always like "Where does that and it's from a chapter from Alice in Wonderland and um, so I was you know when they saw that they were going to do that I was like oh my gosh I have to be a part of this like you know I, it just makes connections, and, you know, the whole curious pie is, like, with Alice and Curiouser and Curiouser, and mm-hmm. so I kind of started going and looking at, like, the food in Alice in Wonderland. It was really interesting. They talk about how um, all of the food in the book is completely degradated in some way, like, there's all, something wrong with it, and and anytime food shows up, and the, that was because it was right around the time in England when people really started to look at what Food manufacturers were actually putting in food, and they actually started getting like in food inspections because they realized you know people were using plaster instead of flour to save money and that's like, a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. And so there was this like huge like hyper paranoia hysteria kind of in London about food and quality. The, yeah, and food quality and like what's in your food and the manufacturing like kind of in a like you know. Meat pies with you know <laughs> like Sweeney Very Todd, Sweeney Todd, yeah, Sweeney yeah. Todd meat yeah. pie kind of thing. not. And yeah. so yeah, that Carol was kind of they think you know they think Carol was really kind of drawing on that when he put mm. food into it. And so I was like, well, that just appeals to me. I mean, obviously I want to make good things, but I loved the idea of like making something that looked like it should taste some way, but then when you eat it, it tastes completely different, but in a good way. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
2: Not like in an olden times England sort of way. Yeah, not in a like... There's some plaster in this.
0: (laughs) So speaking of olden times England, I'm going to throw in another
1: uh,
2: obscure
0: (laughs) reference, Uh, kind of obscure um, uh, recommendation. If you liked the Great British Bake Off, you have to track down. Uh, there were two series that they did in the BB, uh, in England. One is called The Supersizers, and one is called Supersizers Go. And it's Giles Corey, who is a uh, food critic in the UK, and Sue Perkins from Great British Bake Off. Oh, Sue! Uh, they are buddies, and they spend a week living and eating like a specific time period from English history. Um, it's, that sounds it's, delightful. It's amazing. Oh, it's one amazing. of the best shows ever. And so, like, you know, when they get to World War II, they're living in rations and that sort of thing. But and they have a they have a garden. and but when you and you they talk about like how they had like powdered eggs and all these, Crazy things to get people to have enough protein, but if you but the ones where they go back to to, to to further back are really fascinating. I know that they send them to the doctor at the beginning and then at the end, and I think it's the Edwardian period that there was so much meat mm. consumed that like by the end of like one week they were like Giles, you're pre gout. Like this yeah. is this is how oh bad God. it is. Like you you in one week you've been taking all this, but you know then they'll have like they'll go back to maybe um, you know Elizabethan times and they'll have a couple days where they're like a rich family and these elaborate feasts and these elaborate pastries that they would concoct with different mm-hmm. types of game inside and then they'll have a day where they live as a peasant and it's on PBS um, and it was on it was actually on like the cooking channel Oh. Okay. Um, but you can find them on Hulu. Okay. Oh, okay. Um and sometimes you can you can track them down other word ways. But I highly recommend if you if you like Great British Bake Off and you like history, it's the wonderful combination of, of history and Superkins. <laughs>
1: That's a, I, wow, I, I mean, I think it's soup, some, everyone's favorite part of yeah, British baking I thought baking I was going to get something done this weekend. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going nope. to binge watch Supersizers and <laughs> Supersizers yeah. Go. yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. A, my husband discovered
0: it, like, way back in the day when we had Cooking Channel, and we got obsessed with it, and we would, like, DVR it, and every time it, you know, come on at 3 a.m., and we'd get really excited, like, next morning over breakfast, oh, my gosh, we have any Supersizers
2: <laughs> to watch. So. I miss the Cooking Channel,
0: man. I know. I don't have cable
2: anymore. I miss it.
0: I know. Same here.
2: Same here. That was good stuff. <laughs> so I always tell Lynn, it's we have a we have a gym membership at the YMCA and it's like they have Food Network at the YMCA. Um, and so it's like, man, it's that's all I need. It's just like I can do cardio forever if all you say is like you can just watch Food Network. It's like, <laughs> Guy Fieri's going on the road and he's gonna try out some new food. I'm just like, Great, I'm I'm there. I don't care who it is. Like, if you're gonna show me some food television, it's fine. I can do whatever. Yeah. You know,
0: who was the guy who would try to eat, like, an insane amount of food? Oh, that's Adam
2: Richman from uh, Man Vs. Food.
1: Yeah. So my husband
0: and I have had many conversations about this and how we would go about it and what our food of choice would be that we could we could finish, like, an insane amount. And mine was always ice cream. Yeah. And, like, I, mean, I could eat. Mine's like, ice cream. Yeah, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. and I would watch these people try to finish these challenges, and I'm like, you're doing this all wrong. So here's
2: what you need to do. <laughs> here's how you go about right? it. Right?
0: What's yours, Alexa? What's the one food that you could win?
2: Do you know, I I think I've watched, I've watched a lot of Man Vs. Food in my day and I don't know I've I honestly you've seen me eat I'm the slowest eater ever in like the history of the no. world I'm just like Jenny was sitting there watching me with the quiche before I came here and I was just, like Jenny, we're gonna be late <laughs> just like the slowest eater I take my time I don't know I really like cheeseburgers anytime he does like a cheeseburger challenge I'm just like yeah I could probably do that I just not I probably couldn't do something sweet or cold honestly yeah salty stuff I probably could I don't know that's probably a gross answer <laughs> It's
1: true. I really now like I'm gonna, cheeseburgers. Now I want
0: to beat you to a test. We're going to have to have a cheeseburger. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> we'll have it's, an ice cream eating competition. That's right, yeah, that's right. have we'll a just take you out to the summit.
2: We'll eat crank and Boom. Oh, and my you God. have some Marksburg time. Yeah. Arm. Yeah. No, that's fine. <laughs> Let's do that. That sounds great. <laughs> it so, awesome. is. Fantastic. Yeah. Well,
0: we thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, If we survive our eating challenges, uh, we'll be back uh, next month with another edition of the podcast. And thank you
2: so much for joining us, Ryan. Thank Thank you so much. Tell
0: everybody where they can find your your delicious pies. Yes.
1: uh, So you can find them regularly, my quiche regularly, at A Cup of Commonwealth on Eastern Avenue. You can find quiches and pot pies at Lucy Brown Coffee Bar on Church Street. And um, if you are at the Summit, you can head over to Shake Shack and get uh, some of their homemade vanilla custard with the seasonal pie mixed in, which right now is the chocolate pecan bourbon with uh, Wessex Cocoa Porter in it. Oh, I don't so, know what Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can always, uh, I do take direct orders, so you can always contact me uh, for, for your, all your pie needs. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you for having
1: me. This was fun. It was was fun.
2: fun. All right. Thanks, guys.